reading this morning comes from uh, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. So if you've got your uh, Bibles, please grab it now, and uh, I'll give you a few moments to find the right place. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, and I'm reading this morning from the NIV. Now that same day, two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing as uh, you walk along together? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they strongly urged him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven with the, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was going to bring um, the word of God and the message to us this morning. So why don't we pray for Carol? And if you're in a call, why don't you just uh, hold out your hand uh, in accordance and just encourage and bless her? Well, we thank you for Carol. We thank you uh, that you have um, uh, restored her from. COVID over these past few weeks. We thank you that you have blessed her and you have um, uh, laid a word on her heart for your people here this morning. So Father, would you open our hearts to receive every good gift that you have in store for us this morning. We ask that you bless her and the words that you have given her are yours uh, to us this morning. We ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Okay, I, the title I've given this morning is I Am the Resurrection and the Life. Because we're now in that period, aren't we, between the glorious resurrection of Jesus and the time leading up to him returning to heaven and then followed by Pentecost and the birth of the New Testament church, which is another story. So this morning I want to talk around the subject of the resurrection of Jesus and what it means to us today. I am the resurrection and the life of the fifth of Jesus's I am statements. And in the book of John chapter 11, we find the context for this statement. Jesus um, receives word from his friends, Mary and Martha, and that their brother Lazarus is sick. And although Jesus dearly loves his friends that live in Bethany, he chose this event to be a time in which God would be glorified. So he delayed going to see his sick friend for two days. When he knew in his spirit that Lazarus was dead, he told his disciples that Lazarus had fallen asleep and he was going to Bethany to wake him up. Well, they thought if he's only asleep, he'll get better, won't he? But Jesus explained that he had died. When he arrived, he found that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Martha reproached Jesus and said, if you had been here, Lord, then this would not have happened. He would not have died. Then Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again. But Martha assumes that he's referring to the resurrection in the last day. Jesus then makes this remarkable statement. <coughs> Can we have the scriptures up, Nick? <coughs> I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then Jesus asked her a very important question. Do you believe this? Martha then makes her proclamation of faith in Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. I asked you the same question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? When I worked in the education department of High Point Prison, I taught a class on diversity and I was able to incorporate some religious education into the syllabus. And I would take the men into the chapel to glean some understanding of Christianity. 
And then I would invite the Imam, the Muslim Imam, up to the classroom because he preferred that we had questions for him. And boy, did we work hard to make those questions as hard as we could. <laughs> On the very last occasion this happened, shortly before I retired, I asked him how Muslims saw Jesus. I knew that they revered Jesus as a great prophet and believed that he would one day return, but they certainly did not believe he was the son of God. However, crucially, the majority do not believe that it was actually Jesus who was put on the cross, but rather someone who looked like him. Well, I've always felt rather sorry for this poor doppelganger. And then I think, well, then that begs the question, where did Jesus go? Some Muslims do believe it was Jesus, but that he was resuscitated and therefore not resurrected. And as the conversation with the imam continued, I recognized the fact that if there was no crucifixion and no resurrection, then as Christians, we had nothing, absolutely nothing to base our faith upon. And I voiced this, and Ahmed looked at me and he looked so shocked, I actually felt really bad for him. And I wondered if he'd ever considered this before. He was not only the Muslim imam, he was the, the, the head chaplain as well in the prison, taken over from the Church of England chaplain before. Sadly, I never got to say goodbye to him before I left, as I would have liked to have said more, even if it was to apologize for putting him on the spot in front of the class. Without the resurrection, we have no basis for our Christian faith. We are not merely followers of a good man, a teacher, a prophet, someone who had the gift of healing and told interesting stories, but we are followers of the Son of God that loved us so much that he was willing to become that perfect sinless lamb who on the cross became our sin to the point that he was disfigured and unrecognizable and caused his heavenly father to look away leaving him feeling totally abandoned and forsaken for god cannot look upon sin without his death and resurrection there could be no eternal life for us Humanly, we think of, of death following life. But in God's upside-down theology, life follows death. The Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 13, that before being born into the kingdom of God as new creations, we were dead in our sins. But thankfully, we have been redeemed by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And Christians can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died at the time of the Jewish Passover, when the Jews to this day remember how Moses brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and they had to kill a lamb and daub it the blood on the doorposts, so that in the last of the ten plagues, the angel of death would not visit their homes, but pass over their homes and visit only the homes of the Egyptians, causing death to all the firstborn, only the children or the adults, the firstborn of their livestock too. The sacrificial blood of Jesus paid the redemption price so that we too would not be dead in our sins. I knew Jesus had to fulfill the messianic prophecies, but it wasn't until I was preparing the Easter prayer stations that I realized just how much detail 
was in fact prophesied and came to pass. It is the detailed foretelling of the Messiah or anointed one from God that the Jews constantly waited for and indeed still do that identifies Jesus as that very one. It was after the last one was fulfilled, the offering of the sour wine, that Jesus was able to bow his head and cry out, it is finished. So many times in the gospels we read, for his time had not yet come. It was all part of God's master plan that the sacrifice of Jesus would happen in Jerusalem at the time of, pass of the Passover sacrifice, when the Jews gathered together to remember how God through Moses delivered the Israelite slaves out of the bondage of slavery in, the, in Egypt. The Passover sacrifice of God's own son has given us too the ability to pass from the slavery of sin into the freedom that salvation in Christ offers. Remember how Eli on the Easter Sunday was wrapped up in chains by Nick. Was it Eli? Ethan, it was Eli. And then he showed how he was able to break free from those sins, from, from those, sins, those chains, which were symbolic of the sins that the finders. My favorite resurrection story is the road to Emmaus, which Gary read to us earlier. Two disciples walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, sad, disillusioned, grieving, and confused, and discussing together these recent events that had taken place in Jerusalem. They had had so much hope that Jesus was going to be the promised anointed one who would set them free from the Roman occupation, but instead they had watched him die on a criminal's cross. Although there was talk that he had risen again, the tomb had been found empty. And then, as we heard, the stranger joins them and asks what they are discussing. And they're amazed that anybody could have been in Jerusalem and not know what had been happening there in recent days. But the stranger listened and then began to explain to them how it had been foretold in the scriptures that all these things would come to pass. He began with Moses and all the prophets and explained to them that it was in fact Jesus that they were talking about. <coughs> when they approached Emmaus, they offered the stranger hospitality. And when the stranger took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and handed it to them, they recognized immediately that he was Jesus. Then disappeared. After the Easter Sunday service, Juliet came up to me and um, asked me if I knew the British Sign Language for Jesus. And oh, I didn't, I was a bit embarrassed, and uh, so I made something up. And then she showed me. And I thought, oh yeah, I've seen it at Spring Harvest when they were signing the messages. And um, <coughs> I think that's just the same symbol, really. We saw the breaking of the bread, but they would also have seen those nail prints in Jesus's hand. And how back then, they were able to recognize that it was Jesus. And today, the deaf community can recognize that it's Jesus that's being spoken about and being revealed in the message. <clears throat> Stop looking at my notes, I get lost. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road 
and open the scriptures to us. I just love that phrase. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I love it. How many of us have had that experience of our hearts warming, quickening, or missing a beat as the scripture is opened up to us? Or the Holy Spirit illuminates a particular insight or truth and it jumps off the page straight into our hearts? Or maybe we hear spoken words that ping straight into our hearts. You see, Jesus didn't just come and leave us after leave after a few resurrection appearances. He sent his Holy Spirit to be with all those who named the name of Jesus and seek to follow him, both back then and now. It is the Holy Spirit who brings life to the word of God. The resurrection is central to God's plan for the redemption of the world, right from the beginning in Genesis, when first sin entered as a result of Adam and Eve's sin of disobedience. As soon as that gulf opened between himself and Adam and Eve, God had a plan by which the gulf would be bridged and would allow mankind to find their way back into a relationship with him. It would mean the sacrifice of his son, whose death would pay the price of redemption from sin. I'm sure you're aware that there are some numbers in the Bible that occur quite frequently, for example, the number seven or the number 40. But when Mick and I, Mick and I were at Spring Harvest in Skegness, but since we've been home, we've been able to access um, the Minehead speakers as well. And same theme, restore, renew, rebuild, but some different speakers. And Chris, Chris Rogers explained how the number three is the number of resurrection and can be found throughout the Bible whenever a resurrection type event occurs. And he gave us examples of Jonah, Queen Esther, Eutychus, Nehemiah. The three could have been days or hours or <clears throat> different things, but or even the third story in the case of, of Eutychus. And there are many others. In Nehemiah chapter two, after Nehemiah has been given the vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and the king has given him permission to return to Jerusalem. He waits three days before he goes to inspect the walls. What he finds is rubble. He begins to travel around the walls from one broken gate to another until his donkey is not able to get around all the debris. And he has to go up on a hill and seize the ruined city from a, from a height. He then approached the Jewish priests and nobles at, with his proposition of rebuilding and told them about the vision to start. And they agreed to begin the rebuilding. The book of Nehemiah records how each section was worked on by a different group of people. Isn't that wonderful? One man is given a vision, but together they bring that vision on together and work towards it. But, and there is a but, whenever there is a work of God going on, there will always be a form of spiritual attack. Criticism, unpleasant remarks, infighting, etc. And it was no different in Nehemiah's day. Sam Ballot and others heard what was going on, became very angry. And in chapter four, it says he ridiculed the Jews. 
in front of others by making nasty cutting remarks about the feeble Jews. His friend Tobias said, well, if a fox walks along the wall, it'll fall down so bad. What did Nehemiah do? He prayed and the wall continued to be rebuilt with the people working with all their hearts. When Sambalat heard how well the rebuilding was going, he started to get even more angry. Nehemiah and the workers prayed, but when they heard the threats to kill them, they also armed themselves. From then on, half of them worked on the rebuilding, while the other half kept watch. Those who carried materials would work with one hand and carry a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore a sword at their side. <clears throat> Why am I giving you this example from the Old Testament? Why? Because nothing has changed. As we continue to build God's kingdom in this place, we too can expect spiritual attack. Maybe not physically, though we do read of church, Christian churches being burned down in Iraq and other places in the world, but in our health and spiritual lives. After our glorious Easter Day service and family get-together to celebrate Tony's birthday, some of us have been out of action due to COVID, and our worship pianist, Jenny, has had an incredibly bad fall and had to have a hip replacement. The good news is she's expecting to come home today. So she's going to need some help, but um, she's worked really hard with her physio and she's expecting to come home later this afternoon. <clears throat> Our enemy doesn't like to see the people of God catch the vision of building his kingdom. But we're citizens of heaven and as in Nehemiah, we too have been equipped with the necessary weapons we need as we continue to build, not a building of bricks, but God's kingdom in its place. <clears throat> so let's all be aware of the power of prayer. Let us be familiar with Ephesians 6, where the armor and weaponry with which we have been given is listed. And I'm going to read you that section. We all need to know what it is God has given us, what we have at our fingertips and then for our prayers. The armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying 
for all the Lord's people. Remember how Jesus stood against Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. He spoke God's truth to him. So many times I've heard commentators on the war in Ukraine say that the Ukrainians will never surrender. They continue to stand and they will not be defeated. Women and citizens are being trained in weaponry. And we too need to learn how to handle and use the spiritual weapons with which we've been supplied from God's heavenly armory. So we are not only citizens of heaven, but soldiers too. Not to mention being the holy priesthood, having access to the Father through Jesus Christ. To conclude, we need to take a moment to consider the second half of Jesus' statement, the resurrection and the life. We have touched on how it's necessary to first die before we can attain eternal life. And it's relatively easy to understand that as believers, that we will go to be with God in heaven when we leave this mortal body. Even if we didn't have this hope for our future, we can enjoy the life he intended for us right now, as we are rooted deeper into Jesus, so that our lives radiate joy, peace, and love. Together with the weapons of spiritual warfare, we have also been given gifts from the Holy Spirit to enrich our communal life together. Gifts that can draw us closer to God, closer to each other, closer to understanding his word, and closer to discerning his plan for our lives and the fellowship here in Headingham. Let me finish with a section from the Spring Harvest theme book, written by Chris Rogers and others, on Restore, Renew and Rebuild. We are all called into this place of priesthood to live as much like Jesus as we can, carrying into a world that needs his presence. Like the Old Testament priests, our lives must become living sacrifices to be set before the Lord each day. Our lives are now found in that of the Holy Priest, Jesus, the High Priest, Jesus, the body of Christ. Ordinary people have the Spirit of God anointing them for his ministry in the world. Everyone is called, needed, and equipped for this task ahead. Our role and mission is to be Christ in a Christless world. To live in Christ while the world, in, while in the world, inviting others to live in Him also, and to use all resources at our disposal for His resurrection work. <coughs> so let us not be like Nehemiah, who look backwards to restore Jerusalem's former glory, but be a people of God who look forward to what God wants to do in us and with us in this place, in this time. Let us work together to intentionally enlarge the borders of God's kingdom in this area. Let us live in the light of resurrection and all that was accomplished by Jesus' victory over sin and death. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.